This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. Meet me at the club. I'll be on the dance floor. It's conference time. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we share some pro tips for making the most of a scientific conference. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 97. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Dan, we are getting extremely close to episode 100. Creeping our way to the, the big one zero zero. Should we plan something? We we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You were going to go through and find all <laughs> yeah. your favorite moments. Have you done that yet, Josh? I don't think I promised that. I think I said you I mentioned might it. do that. Yeah, and which might, means, might mean yeah. you will not do it for sure. Yeah. Uh, if you have ideas for what we should do for episode 100, I'm all ears. Did you think we'd make it? To 97. I think we make it to three, honestly. <laughs> That's a good point. Dan. If you go back and listen to episode one, you'll see why. Uh, don't go listen to episode one. <laughs> one thing I never would have thought possible back when we started was that we would have listeners and that they would send us beer. And they have done it again. Yeah, this actually comes from, this is our second of three beers that was sent to us by Matthew, grad student from the University of Utah. And we got another Epic Brewing beer. And as we mentioned last week, Epic specializes in these large bottles of high-gravity beers. And this is another one. A winning combination. So this is the Big Bad Baptist Imperial Stout. And they say it's made with uh, cocoa nibs and coffee. And aged in whiskey barrels, 11.3 by volume. 11.3. You know, I'm usually, I'm usually like a 5%er. This is, this is double. You like remember a, the Shandy? That was a little bit lower. You probably you lower. enjoyed that one. Yeah, I liked that one. Uh, let's, let's try this one, Dan. This has cocoa, coffee, and whiskey barrel aged. What do you think? All of those flavors are present and tasteable, I think. The first thing that hits me is the chocolate. This is really rich. Um, it almost is like a melted down dark chocolate. Like if you get a if you get a hot chocolate from a place that makes really good hot chocolate. Yeah, exactly. Where it's sort of that bitterness of the the chocolate, but it's it's thick. And the higher alcohol, I think, either brings out or makes me think about whiskey. Um, they'd say that it's aged in whiskey barrels, but I think that combination of the flavor and then the higher alcohol level. Uh, this is not one to to drink with dinner. I don't think. Or on a Sunday afternoon before lunch, which is <laughs> what we're doing right now. Not a great idea. <laughs> uh, poor planning. But this is really delicious. You know, I'm thinking this would be awesome with a little dollop of whipped cream on top. <laughs> you cannot put whipped cream on beer. Don't you think that'd be delicious? Have you ever had whipped cream on beer? You probably have. have. Yes, I you have. Yeah, I had, yeah. Uh, uh, I had my, a birthday get-together every year at a local growler filling station near a house. Dan, you've been? I have, and I think I watched you drink this particular beer. Yeah, and, and the owner of Growler Girls in Durham, North Carolina, uh, is kind enough at the end to give me a little four-ounce pour of a beer similar to this with some whipped cream on top. Pretty good. Uh, I, I will have to take your word for it. I don't think I could do it. Well, we didn't adulterate this beer, uh, but again, a thank you to Matthew for sending the beer in, and to show our thanks, we are going to answer his question on the show today. Coming up soon. And um, we have some other people to thank, though, don't we, Josh? We sure do. So we have a new Patreon patron. 
Big thanks to Andrew, who joined our growing group of Patreon sponsors. Thank you so much, Andrew. And we also have to thank Promega. Their message to us this week, Josh, is about PCRs. Have you ever, you've done some PCRs in your day? Yeah, I don't even know how many PCRs I've done. Lots. Uh, and they all went perfectly, didn't they? Mm, Every sure. single one yeah, of them amplified as, the target. As far as I remember, yeah. Your gels all looked great, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, for the rest of us who uh, have that heartbreaking moment where you turn on that UV light and realize the PCR failed, Promega technical support scientists are here to help. On September 11th, 2018, they will have two amplification experts that Ooh. will be hosting a live webinar to answer all your questions. PCR experts. Amplification experts. Not like audio amplification. I, I expect not. Okay. I, I think okay. they're talking about DNA. Uh, to ensure that you have a successful PCR every single time. So submit your questions along with your registration by August 17th. So that's coming up. Uh, and you'll have a chance of hearing your question answered during the presentation. Just go to promega.com slash hello PCR. Oh, I see what they did see there. They did there yeah. uh-huh. uh, to register and to ask your question. What a cool opportunity. If I was doing PCR, I would totally do that. And maybe I'll do it anyway. All right, Dan, let's move on to our topic of the week. The question this week, Josh, is about scientific conferences. And it came from Matthew, who was kind enough to send us this delicious beer we're drinking today. Um, He says, how can you be effective at conferences? I usually make it to one or two conferences a year. And the first time I went, I had no idea what to do, where to go, how to plan to see what I should be seeing, let alone finding time to properly network. For students who have an absent PI, this can be daunting, particularly if you are presenting papers and posters as well. And uh, basically, I I thought this was a great question because all of us go to conferences, even those of us who are not scientists. So I thought I would love to learn more about the right way to attend these conferences and to get the most out of them. This is an awesome question, and I can't believe that we have gone 97 episodes and have not talked about this It's pretty impressive, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So this was definitely a blind spot, so thank you, Matthew. I have wasted some time at conferences, have you? (laughs) Uh, Definitely. I've gone without, without kind of thinking ahead about it and gotten there, flitted between rooms, you know, reading the the guide as I'm running between places, finding out that's not really what I wanted to do, missing opportunities to talk to really great people. And probably probably reading that guide for the first time when you get there. Totally. Yep. I've done it. Oh, well, let's just go through. So what we did, I actually put this out, this question out on Twitter, just to see if other people had some ideas for ways that they make the most of conferences that they attend. And wow, I was blown away. We got some great advice. Crowdsourced. Yeah, so, so this is not just our ideas. Uh, we're going to share a lot of really great ideas we had uh, from a number of folks who were students and postdocs and faculty and other people. So I think this is going to be really useful to um, grad students or really anybody who's attending a conference. We have all the best ideas. <laughs> Here they come. Here they come. And very few of them are ours. Yeah, and, and, and here's where, to me, I think this is the most important piece to state, that this process starts before the conference. I just mentioned that sometimes I show up and run around. That's not the way to do it because you can actually uh, do some work in advance before you go to the conference. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about some work that you can do before you even go to the conference. First thing I think you should do is to think about which conferences you're attending, which ones you want to go to. You're going to have the opportunity to go to a lot, I think. And not all of them are going to be worth your time. Is that your experience, Josh? Yeah, and and Dan, I know something, uh, a term that you know quite well is that of opportunity cost. 
Yeah, it's a good one. And so I think what you, you want... You pay something to go there. Yeah, it is going to cost you something to attend that conference. And not, not just cost in the money it takes for you to fly there or, or stay in a hotel. But, but the time, you're going to be spending several uninterrupted days at this conference. And so ideally, you want the value gained from your time attending this conference to exceed the value of what you could have done by not attending the conference. That's right. And Dr. Steph Davis points out that uh, you can find out whether the conference has opportunities specifically for PhD students and postdocs. And if they are catered to those levels of training, then you can probably get more out of it than if it's just a general conference that maybe doesn't have uh, a lot of extra networking time or opportunities for students. Yeah. And I think once you've decided you know what, this does look like a conference I want to go to, and and there is a place for me. It's going to be a relevant experience for me as an undergraduate, a grad student, a postdoc. A lot of people responded how important it is to make a plan uh, before you go. And, and so I think once you've decided it's a conference you want to go to, set some goals for what you hope to accomplish there. Getting out of the lab for a week? <laughs> Goal one. Goal one. Mission Check. accomplished. Uh, so, so Alex Danis said to, to set a conference goal, like ask a question in a session, uh, giving a good talk, or maybe handing out five business cards. I find that I feel more accomplished and do more work than if I have a vague idea like, quote unquote, network. That's right. You're going for a reason. If you are a student, you're probably going to learn something or to meet people. Uh, if you're later, maybe in your career, you want to go present a poster, you're going to meet an existing collaborator. Maybe you're at the postdoc level or you're about to be and you want to go find a new job. Um, you need to talk to vendors to buy something or sell something. There are a lot of reasons to go to a conference and understanding upfront what it is you expect to get out of it other than a week out of lab is going to be really helpful for doing the next steps, which are uh, basically making a plan for how are you going to use your time at this conference. We had a suggestion from AJ Reisinger, uh, and he said that he learned the uh, three two one rule at a conference that he went to this year, and that was to try to meet three new people try to reconnect with two colleagues and then leave the conference with one new actionable project. Or, or, or that could even be something like maybe ask one question during a session if, if that's something you're not very confident um, in doing. That's great. And then he can, he can check back uh, over the course of the conference and then at the end to find out how have I done on my particular goals that I've set. Exactly. So I think a big advantage to going to a conference in the first place is that you you get to actually meet and interact with some people who are interested in similar things as you that you normally wouldn't get to interact with on your own campus. But but with a lot of conferences, there's a lot of people there. So it's not like you can just kick the door open, walk in, and all those people you really were hoping to meet are going to just bump into you. Tens of thousands. Yeah, it's, it can be really big. Yeah, yeah. They're not just sitting at the bar next to you and, and oh, hey, I was hoping to run into you. Um, so a lot of people mentioned the importance of of really planning that out um, by, by, reaching, by reaching out to people you want to connect with before you even go to the conference. Right. So if it's a conference in your field, it's a cell biology conference, for example, you may be able to expect that a certain PI is going to be there. And if you wanted to meet that PI because you wanted to either collaborate or you wanted to work in their lab, you can email them in advance and say, hey, uh, I'm going to be at the ASCB meeting. Will you be there? And if so, can we get together for 15 minutes for coffee? Can we go to dinner? Can we, whatever it is, I'd like to talk to you about a postdoc or I'd like to talk to you about this project I'm working on. And I think most of the time people will, will carve time out of their schedule to uh, meet with you no matter what level you're at. 
Yeah, and this is something I do every conference I go to now is if there are a couple folks that I really want to either make a point of meeting or or maybe there's someone that I have connected with via email or Twitter, but I would like to meet them in person, I make sure I plan that before I go. Because in my experience, if I have the mindset or leave it with that person of, hey, yeah, let's get together sometime during the conference, once you get there, it's so easy in the busyness of the conference for your time to just evaporate. So I really try for those key meetings I want to have to actually schedule them in advance. So once you get to the conference schedule, reach out to that person and say, hey, it looks like we've got some free time on Thursday, you know, Thursday after lunch. What do you say we grab a coffee or meet up in this conference room then? And that way you make sure you don't miss out on those key opportunities to meet people that are important to you in your career. Are you a coffee, lunch, or dinner person or random? I tend to... Well, I think it depends on the person. Meet me at the club. I'll be on the <laughs> dance floor. Uh, I, th- I think it depends on two things. I think it depends on why I want to meet them. So do I want to just meet them and say hello? And in that case, maybe it's, oh, I'll stop by your booth. Are you going to be at your booth at this time? Or I'll be here at this or time. Your poster. Or here's my poster. Come by. Um, or if it's a colleague or someone that I hope to potentially establish a collaboration with, that's a little more involved conversation. And if they're sort of on an equal sort of career status as me, then in that case, I might suggest even a coffee or a lunch or grab a beer um, in the afternoon. If it's somebody that is is someone sort of above me on the chain, um, I don't usually reach out to, hey, let's have a nice romantic dinner tonight. You know, then I might say, you know, I know you're very busy. I try not to impose too much of their time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You kind of fit the meeting space to the thing that you need to accomplish. So yeah, if, if, you, if you have a poster and you just want to tell your five colleagues in this other lab that you work with, they can stop by any time. And if there are a lot of people around, that's okay. It's not a big deal. You can kind of talk to everybody. But if you need to hammer out the details of a grant proposal or a collaboration, you can't do it while standing yeah. with five people watching you. So it's just matching the the need to the venue. That's exactly right. And and we had a great suggestion from uh, Megan Lynch. And and what Megan said was start following the listed guests who have Twitter accounts before the conference. Uh, find out what the conference hashtag is. And if there isn't one, invent it and live tweet it. People will remember who you are because you're helping spread info. So, so we'll talk a little bit about staying connected at the conference. But I think that's a great idea. A lot of conferences do post not just who the speakers are going to be, but they'll post um, who will be attending the conference. And so you can maybe, if there are people you're interested in, yeah, go ahead and follow them on on Twitter. Maybe reach out to them and say, oh, I really think your work is cool. I'd love to meet up with you at this conference or I'll be at this conference also. And that can be a great way to kind of prime the pump a little bit. Okay, so that's how to get in touch with the people that will be there. Uh, eventually, a list of talks and posters will come out, right? And I don't know how far in advance that tends to be. Yeah, I think it depends on the conference. And, and that's where it goes into um, a lot of suggestions that, that we dubbed making a plan. Yeah, you've got to think ahead about which talks are really important to you. So uh, Nurse here said, <laughs> battle plan in all caps. Uh, battle plan. Yeah, you can't do everything, but have a list of panels, talks, posters you definitely want to attend and see when and where they are. Uh, because if you don't have that plan in advance, you're going to do what I did, uh, which is miss something you really wanted to see. Yeah, this is something that I definitely do now is if I get that that conference program, I'll break out the pen or the highlighter and, and circle on the schedule 
these are the things that I want to make sure I go to. And then I will actually look at that maybe before bed, the night before, or even important things I'll add to my calendar. But it's important to note too, these days, a lot of meetings, especially bigger meetings, will have a conference app. Yeah, definitely. And and a lot of those that are worth their salt make it very easy for you to, to star a certain session and it will even automatically import that into your schedule. So you can just pop that up and see all the things you want to go to and what rooms they're in. So definitely, definitely take advantage of that functionality ahead of time um, if there's a conference app. Now, and then McCarthy said, don't try to make individual talks, plan around the sessions. Uh, otherwise, you'll miss the talks trying to get between rooms. You've been to these conferences, Josh, where they have a, a panel discussion or a group of, of you know, maybe 15-minute talks back to back to back. And I've done I've done exactly what she says not to do, which is I try to catch the first talk in this room and the third talk in that room and you're running back and forth. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, I think this one, depending on how big the meeting is, um, this could be really great advice. I mean, I've done the same thing, Dan, and uh, and there's kind of two problems with trying to bounce around. One, if it's a, in a really big convention center, you may spend as much time walking from one room to the next or or running in some cases. Um, and then the other thing, depending on how good of a moderator the session has, you've probably seen this, it's not a guarantee to what degree uh, talks will actually stick to the time. So if a talk is... Oh, it could be terrible. Yeah, yeah. it could be really bad. And so... The uh, third one never starts when the third one is supposed to start. Absolutely. And and so it could be risky. I mean, I mean, certainly if they're the two main people you wanted to see speaking and they happen to be at the same time at different ends of the session, sure, you got to go for it. But I think as default, it's probably best to just identify the sessions that you think are most relevant to you. And we had a couple of people mention that it's important to pick talks that, you know, obviously you're going to be drawn to a certain subset of topics because they're in your field of research. They are researchers you've published with or, or competitors in labs that you want to hear what they're working on. But a couple of people said it's important to pick talks that are either outside your field or um, maybe challenge your understanding of some, some aspect of your work. Because I think we can tend to get very shoehorned into a, a very narrow field of science. And when we do that, we miss the interdisciplinary aspects that can give us a new idea, some other thing that we could research. Yeah, I agree. Andrew Hip said, great talks from outside my field have given me more to think about, engaged me more creatively and scientifically than some I've attended because I felt I ought to. And I think that is totally great. And really, that's an advantage of a conference is it breaks you out of the lab and your day-to-day and the people you're used to talking to and really gives you an opportunity to explore some new ideas that maybe just sound cool, but in your day-to-day, you don't get a chance to think about those things as much. So absolutely, uh, you know, use the conference as a time to expand your mind because especially if you're a grad student, you're in this transitionary step and who knows what your next step is going to be. And, and you might get some really interesting ideas that push you towards some different directions by expanding your, your mind at a conference. Yeah. I like this idea of reading through the, the document, the list of all the presentations and trying to notice in yourself what is intriguing to me. Cause sometimes you can, you can get so familiar with your own field that it loses a little bit of its flair, its edge, its excitement. And as you read through this wide variety of types of research, something may spark in you that is not part of what you'll ever do in your graduate training or maybe in your postdoc, but it could be something you pick up at the next stage. And so just paying attention to your own 
feelings as you read through that is going to it's going to show you the next thing. Yeah, and and I'll say this too on the on the flip side of that coin, one thing that I always got a lot out of in scientific conferences that I went to as a grad student or postdoc was I found it to be very motivating to hear other researchers talk about work that was closely related to mine because it helped me realize, oh, other people are actually interested in this as well. And there was just something about... It's not just you. It wasn't just me, yeah, that I found somewhat motivating to see other people interested in my work outside of my PI and my lab. All right, so you have a plan. The day has arrived. It's conference time. It's conference time. Now let's get out. Let's get out of the way some of the the practicalities of attending a conference. So, uh, Kate Bradford said, "Somewhat obvious, but often overlooked: comfortable shoes and bring your own snacks." Definitely, uh, don't overlook the snacks. Wear layers. You'll be hangry. Yeah, I mean, we talked about running back and forth between sessions. If you wear shoes that don't feel good, if you are uh, dressed in a way that you're uncomfortable, if you're hungry, it's it's a nightmare. Yeah, and she mentioned wearing the layers. Actually, that came up a couple of times. Uh, My wife and I just got back from a conference in Florida, and this was, you know, in Central Florida in July. So it's hot. Shorts and tees. But freezing inside, and that was actually some of the advice that was given was, you know, we know the weather forecast says it's in the upper 90s every day, but consider wearing some pants and bring Not a sweater. Yeah. yeah, that so. makes a lot of sense. Um, a lot of people mention, make sure you have an extra charger. Um, you've been to a conference, oh, Josh, yeah. where everybody's kind of sitting along the wall fighting over <laughs> that one that one outlet. Yeah, there's uh, like five different things hanging off of it. That's right. And yeah. Wi-Fi isn't always awesome. So if you have your own mm, phone yeah. that can do a mobile hotspot or something to be able to get on the internet, um, do you ever take a laptop to conferences? Uh, yeah, I do. Nowadays... It's pretty common for me to to just carry my backpack around. I usually throw the conference bag away <laughs> and yeah. and will usually just carry my backpack with my laptop. Yeah, that makes sense. I I always take mine, but then I feel weird that I'm carrying it around and I don't know. Yeah, I've, yeah. I I've, I've become pretty attached to my backpack cuz then I usually will keep you know, you keep your some extra business cards in there and a water are. bottle and snacks. Um, so I'm, I'm back to swag from the vendor booth. Oh, and, and one other thing too, that I think is related to this. Sylvie Raver said one, you can check out some organizations actually have resources at the conference for first timers that can be useful uh, to orient you to how to make the most out of a big conference. And then I thought this was great advice. Mix in some brain breaks throughout the day uh, for talks that aren't directly related to your research or maybe some time where you can just sit and reflect and do nothing for a few minutes. I detect an introvert here. I'm, this, I'm exactly this way. I have to schedule time to be by myself and quiet because it's, it's too much to be networking in the breaks, going to talks, trying to absorb all the information. It just, it gets overwhelming. And to have time set aside to just be quiet is, or to take a walk. Some people talked about getting outside, being in the sunshine, because I think a lot of scientists are introverts and we need that time. Yeah, I just got back from a week-long training that was pretty intensive. The schedule was fairly packed from, from morning to night. And a lot of the stuff we had to do was interact with other people directly. And I'm an introverted person as well, Dan. And so one thing I did, there was this little window of time right after a lunchtime presentation. There were even presentations at lunch, right? And I would just slip out, and there was a coffee shop that was about four blocks away. So it wasn't super close, but I'd slip out every day, 
walk by myself. I didn't even tell anyone else I was going. I slip away, get my coffee, walk back. And just that little bit of time, that 20 minutes You can see the normal people at the coffee shop, the (laughs) non-scientists. That's right. They're talking about things that aren't molecular biology. That's right. So so I think that was good good advice. Um, And and I think the, the last thing Sylvie said is just in general to wrap this up is is make sure you incorporate healthy routines and and things you would do at home that help you to feel healthy whether it's eating a certain way or exercising getting some fresh air um, normal eating and sleeping it can be really hard to do all those things when you're out of your element um, but but as much as you can maybe trying to implement some of those things into your conference schedule so take care of you first that makes sense so Josh the only time I really use Twitter. And, and social media in general is when I'm at a conference because there is so much going on in that third level of communication. Yeah, this is a big one. And, and we had a comment on this earlier, but Efrain Rivera Serrano said, uh, make sure you use that conference hashtag. I think anymore, most conferences will even put out there, this is the official conference hashtag. And and for those of you who aren't, aren't big Twitter files, you know, that's important because... You, it will automatically link that. So if it's the 2018 American Cell Biology Conference, the hashtag might be 2018 ASCB. And so when you do the hashtag, you can just click that and it'll show all the other messages where people have added that tag. And it's very easy then to connect with other people who are at the meeting, maybe see what's going on. Um, and I, I do a workshop on using Twitter to build your scientific network. And the most common question I get is, you know, I, I joined Twitter and I've got like five followers. How do you generate a following? That can be a great, efficient way to start generating followers is you're at a conference, everybody's focused on the same thing and wanting to meet new people. If you start tweeting and making a presence on Twitter with that hashtag, I guarantee you, you're going to pick up some some followers um, of people who have similar interests to you in that setting. It makes total sense. And if you're giving a talk or a, or doing a poster, Megan Lynch would like to remind you to include your Twitter handle at the beginning because that allows people to get in contact with you. Maybe they saw something in your talk or your poster they wanted to follow up on. They can get to you directly by knowing how to reach you on social media. And that's that is a game changer. This is not the email. Um, this is a way for people to have a conversation with you in real time while you're up there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, Dan, I think it's time to address the elephant in the room. I don't know if we'll call it that, but, but so many people, the big one, what the thing you have to do at conferences that maybe gives a lot of people fear about conferences in general. We're not going to call it networking, but Mark Piper said network, <laughs> even if it isn't your style. Ask people about their work. They're always happy to talk about that. Once you know a few folks at the conference won't seem so large and intimidating. And that's it's so true. We don't love the network word. I understand that. But you are there because it's a place for all of these scientists who are working in their individual labs pushing the boundaries of human knowledge to come together with high bandwidth. And so if you are staying in the corner, if you're only consuming, um, watching talks, looking at posters, and not meeting people, you're missing out on the main point. You can do that online. You can go watch talks online, uh, but you can't talk to these people in real time. So so make the most of it. Yeah, and Nessa Carson said, uh, don't be scared to chat up the big names. And It can be intimidating. It definitely can, but, you know, I think... Just remember, they're nerds too. (laughs) That's right. Everybody has similar goals at the conference, and they are there to some degree to meet people and connect with people. 
And think about, I mean, actually think about yourself. If you had someone come up to you and say, you know, I really think the work you're doing is really cool. Can we talk about it? How would you react to that? I mean, you'd be so excited that somebody cared about your work. Absolutely. And so, so that's the, that's the uh, result that you're probably going to get by going up to somebody. Uh, they're going to be excited to talk to you and, and just happy that you were interested in what they're doing. And, and some conferences, as Casey Schmidt pointed out, actually have mentoring events where literally the reason why people go to those is to meet people. So that's one thing you could do in a very structured environment that's set up to encourage networking and to encourage people to, to have conversations with one another. So that could be good to attend. I really loved the suggestion from John Vanek, who said, find an extrovert to tag along with, right? If that's not your gig, you probably know who in your lab is an extrovert. Just follow that person around. They will strike up conversations. And you can watch them scaring all the people around. (laughs) (laughs) How much shoegazing can they incite? uh, Yeah, I'm just thinking about, you hear these things that most scientists are introverted. And so you would think at a scientific conference, most scientists are introverted. Uh, My wife is a school teacher and they tend to have the opposite personality profile. And so I went to an education conference one time, freaked me out. (laughs) You probably ran back (laughs) to your hotel room. Those teachers are crazy. Let me just say that. Well, they want to talk to you and they're not afraid to. They do. They're not afraid. I think another important consideration, um, Colette M., was talking about interaction with all those vendors in the vendor hall. So we, we've talked about there's the posters and the presentations, but most conferences, there are all these vendors from companies and science-related uh, businesses. And so what Colette said was actually talk to the vendors and don't just swipe the free stuff, especially if it's a vendor that you commonly work with. They could help you troubleshoot a problem that you didn't even know you had and tell you about a new product and maybe even tell you about jobs if that's something you're interested in. Yeah, I remember uh, we talked with Randy Roboto on the episode Insider's Guide to Industry. And he reminded us that when vendors come around your hallway when you're in lab, most people run, but you shouldn't because that's a great way to um, get connected with a lot of different labs through that person. This is this is another example of vendors, but connecting with them in a way that really helps your career. Yeah. And it's really important to realize when you're walking through that vendor hall, the people at those tables are literally there to meet you like that is like actually they don't that is what they're there to do and they're not doing anything if they're not talking to you so they want to talk to you what is the best swag you've ever gotten at a vendor area the best swag (laughs) you know i used to think it was the t-shirt i remember back in the day getting a t-shirt was like kind of hard to do but now i feel like i have so many um like just so many random t-shirts that I really don't, I would usually be upset if I get a t-shirt. I'm like, oh God, I have to like throw this t-shirt away. No, I, I definitely like the t-shirts. Now that I have kids, I like to get the crazy pen or um, I had a wind up robot. The kids really love. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I think my favorite is like the squishy balls or like the, like the stress. But you bring them things. home to the kids. Yeah. Right, Josh? yeah I bring yeah. them home to the kids. Yeah. yeah. Back in the day, those little USB hard drives, yeah. that was the thing to get. Yeah, I actually saw one. There was one at a conference I went to recently that was giving away those those portable char- phone chargers. Like, that's pretty nice. That is nice, I, yeah. And I use it. I actually do use Take it. Take that with you to the next conference when people are fighting over the outlet. Yeah, that's right. All right, Dan. So let's talk about um, not just general networking, but a lot of times when you're going to a conference, you're going to present your research is another key thing that you're there to do. Yeah, if you're very lucky you're giving a talk, a lot of times you'll be doing a poster Um, and one of the things to, to remember that 
David States reminds us, is that there's no such thing as a talker poster that is not a job talk. Uh, remember that people will remember you. So if you are doing a poster, you are doing a presentation, you are doing a job talk. The way you present that, the way you present yourself, the way you are cordial and gracious to the people as they come up to your poster will be remembered and and potentially will lead to your next job or our postdoc. Yeah, I was at a I was at a conference not too long ago and the new president of that society that led the conference came up to me and said, Hey, I saw you give a talk two years ago at this other thing and I've used that in some different ways. I was like, oh two years ago you probably didn't remember it. Yeah, I know, right. And Sally Aiken said something that I think is important, not not just for if you're giving a poster, but in general when you're meeting people. Um, be friendly to everyone who visits and talk to as many of them as possible and don't presume who is important and who isn't. And I think that the subtext of that is uh, you don't know which meeting that you have is going to lead to a collaboration and you don't know which person is going to leave you with an idea that leads to the next figure in your paper. And so um, you might see somebody pretty young who comes up, maybe an undergrad is attending, or maybe somebody who seems very important is there treating them differently does not benefit you. Being gracious and generous to everybody maximizes your opportunities and leads to the best relationships that you will carry on after the conference. Yeah, I totally agree. And and that's that's just a good way to be, you know, whether you're at a conference or you're just in your lab normally is, you know what, give that undergrad who needs help, who's new in the lab, give them the same time and attention that you give the PI when they walk through. My approach is, the person comes up and says, can you walk me through your posters? No, <laughs> read it yourself. That's why I wrote the words. <laughs> is that the right way to do it? Yeah, let's save that for our how to present a poster episode. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. We'll get back to it. <laughs> and and on the flip side of that, beyond just presenting your poster, we got some feedback on the importance of actually participating in the poster session by looking at posters and, and interacting with the poster presenters. I'll say, Dan, I always enjoyed a poster session way more than going to a talk much more intimate, you can ask what you need to ask. Yeah, I loved the more informal conversation. And, and you know, when you're giving a talk, you're, you're trying to hit the high point of connecting with everyone in the room. Whereas a poster presentation, you can really gear it to the interests. Um, if, I'm, if I'm the one hearing the poster, what my interests are and how they relate to the presenter. And so one thing that, that we got some advice from Glenn Pyle was, was walk through the posters ahead of the poster session or maybe even read the titles of them ahead of time and choose the ones you're interested in and target them during the poster session. It can maximize your interaction time. Basically, go before the presenter is there so you have the chance to look over the figures, decide whether you really want to interact, and you'll have an idea before you, you go back during the scheduled time. I think typically they schedule a time for you to be at your poster. Is that right? Mm -hmm, that's right. And depending on the conference, some conferences, you literally set your poster up when it's your time to present and then you take it down. Other conferences, you put it up at the beginning of the meeting and then you leave it up the whole time. And there is a period of time that you're actually with it, but it's there the rest of the time. So depending on the, the style of the presentation, might dictate to what degree you're actually able to go walk through them ahead of time. But most conferences do publish a list of all the abstracts um, ahead of time. We need to have a, a full episode on how to present a poster. Uh, but Mike Kaspari had some great notes. He said, uh, even the worst talk can teach. So record in your notebook, I will not dot, dot, dot. So if you're watching a talk, if you're looking at a poster, take with you a notebook or on your laptop 
and build a list of practices that that you saw somebody else use that maybe you don't want to use in the future and review it the next time you're giving a talk or doing a poster. I think that's a great advice. Yeah, I guess you want to write that down after you walk away from the No, the while you're there, just presenter. say it out loud. <laughs> this poster is terrible. <laughs> never be like this person. Uh, never use the orange text on the yellow background. This is the bad bad plan. Yeah, but even at a talk, I mean, if you are sitting in yeah. a talk, you are you are consuming information and if you're feeling annoyed at their figures, if you can't read the text, if their delivery feels unpolished, whatever it is, basically what Mike is saying is don't consider that lost time. Consider that valuable teaching time. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And, and also, I think this was a good good suggestion from Sania Farouk, and that was don't be shy to walk out of a talk and go to one you're really interested in. You're there to learn about science that intrigues you, not to stay in one spot out of politeness. Pro tip, don't sit in the first row. Yeah, I never do, actually, for that very reason. You know, your time is so valuable. And 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 we had a couple of people who mentioned that sometimes just because something seems really cool, like the abstract sounded really great, um, or it was really hyped up by somebody you know, and then you get there and it's not at all what you thought it would be, you know, you're right. Like your time is too valuable to just hang out there for, for 30 minutes when maybe there's something else you could be doing instead. Um, or sometimes what I will do in those moments is, especially if I'm sitting in the back, you know, maybe that's a moment for me to clear my mind and just kind of chill um, for a few minutes in that quiet space. Check out. Yeah. And then, then one thing that's, I don't know that I would have thought to say this if, if people hadn't mentioned it, but once they did, I realized this is absolutely something that I do that I think is really important. And that is most of the time these conferences are in cool places. You know, they're in cities or maybe places you've never been before. And I think one advantage of being a researcher um, is that sometimes you actually can travel funded off of your work and see some news. But I know that's been true for me. I've been a lot of places I never would have gone otherwise. I totally agree. I very distinctly, I only went to, I think, one conference when I was in graduate school uh, and it was in Washington, D.C., and I remember taking my camera. I was very into photography at the time. I took my camera around and took photos that I still have and I still think about. And I've been a lot of other places on on conferences that were not um, part of my graduate school training, but I remember the cities that I visited because I spent some time walking around them, going to restaurants. I think it's a great point that this is time to make memories. Yeah, and Dr. Gail Siegel said just that. So if the conference is in another city, state, or country, be sure to take time to sample the local foods and cultural attractions during your breaks. Conferences are a great way to see the world. And Craig Horn reminds you, drink wine, lots of it. This PhD stuff can't all be boring. <laughs> They're usually kind of happy hours and networking events. That's true. Yeah, that's true. You know, some of, I mentioned the liking the poster sessions some of the best poster sessions I've ever been to were at some of the smaller meetings where there actually was a bar at the poster session. You can and that's awesome. Yeah. You know, like that really, that really lubricates the, the room a little bit um, in this case. Makes all the science more interesting, doesn't it? It sure does. And I'll say to, to Craig's point, um, one thing that I often do when I go to a conference in a new city, or I guess if I go to a new city in general, is one way that I kind of see the place is I usually, one of the first things I do is I usually look up where are the local coffee shops and where are the local breweries? Because almost every city these days has both. And, you know, that can be a great play, a great way to, to see the sites a little bit is walk from your hotel 
to a coffee shop, to a brewery, maybe catch a lift if it's a little farther away. But that is totally a way that I kind of get out of the convention center and, and see the place a little bit, get to know a place. Okay, so the conference is over. We have met wonderful people. We have learned incredible advances in science. What now? The, the conference is done. What should we do? I think the most important thing you can do is is follow up on those connections you made. And and I think I would I would actually schedule a time to do that. So let's say you get back over the weekend. I know it's really tough to try to play catch up from all the stuff that you've been away from for you the last week. You got a thousand emails from while you were gone. I just got back from a week away. I'm feeling the pressure. But once you start jumping into all the things you need to catch up on, you're pretty much done with the conference at that point. So I would say one of the first things you should do when you get back is schedule time just to send follow-up messages, whether that's hopefully you've kept some notes, gotten some business cards or whatever from all the people you've met. Just send them. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Just send them a quick email or tweet or whatever just to say, hey, it was great to meet you. Um, If it's something that you're hoping to establish an ongoing connection, maybe that would be a time to say, hey, let's go ahead and get on the calendar a time that we can have another conversation maybe a month from now or whatever. But send those follow-up messages as soon as you get back. And this is a great time to go back and assess your success on your goals. Did you meet the people you expected to meet? Did you ask the question in the session you expected to ask? All the things that made you go to this conference that you hope to get out of it, look back and say, did I do them? And if I could do it over, what would I do differently? And maybe jot those notes down in your notebook so that the next time you go, uh, you'll do a better job. I want to say one more thing related to this follow-up and why it's important. Um, especially, I think, potentially sending follow-up emails. So if you're if you're a grad student specifically, or postdoc, and your your one of your connections made were with were with faculty or professionals of some way, and you want them to remember you, I think it could be so critical to send that email because I know myself. You know, I meet a lot of people, and my memory is very bad at remembering names. Especially, I can usually remember faces, but myself and I know a lot of faculty Twitter handles. You're good at those. I am good at Twitter handles. Once you send me an email it's locked in. Like I can easily search for you and find you and your name and remember that interaction we had. So I think that could be one advantage to at least getting in somebody's inbox is it kind of like stamps your presence in there in a searchable way for the future. So when maybe two years down the road, you're interested in that, that faculty member for a potential postdoc and you can say, Hey, I really enjoyed meeting you at the so-and-so meeting a couple of years back if they can look you up and be like, oh yeah, I like that jogged my memory a little bit. Um, I think I think that can be an important reason to follow up uh, specifically uh, via email. A couple of people mentioned bringing business cards, which feels a little weird to me for scientists. Josh, what do you think about cards or some handout that allows a person to remember they met you? Um, I have business cards and I will use them. But you are, you are a professional academic person So what about a graduate student? Have you had graduate students bring you business cards? And how do you feel about it? Okay, here's the truth. And I will say this is my truth. Um, This is not, I'm not speaking for all people. I definitely have students who give me business cards. And I almost always lose them or throw them away. Usually because they're in my jacket pocket. And then like six months later, I do something else. And then I throw them out. However, like I just said, actually, if you email me, I will remember that and I will have that forever. So to me, 
the uh, business card exchange can happen and maybe that's good. But the most important thing you can do is to follow up with someone. So if someone gives you a business card and you wanted to follow up with them, that allows you to email them later and to be in their inbox. So that's the that's an appropriate way to use a business card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, it just makes it easier to find their... Well, and in a lot of cases, remember their name because you know if I just meet you at the meeting and sure you've got your name badge on, but then I talk to 100 other people that day, I might remember, oh, I had this really awesome conversation with this guy from North Carolina God, what was his name? And then I'm lost, you know, at that point, unless I know some other identifiers about you. So, so a thing that I will usually do is, oh, and I, we should have said this too, but uh, keep a pen on you. Yes, keep a pen. <laughs> uh, and a lot of times the name badge will have like a little place that you can put a pen. Do that. And actually, it usually has a place. That's a good place to stash your business cards too, by the way. Pocket protector your, for that name badge pen? <laughs> sure. Um, but I will usually, if it was a really interesting conversation that I want to f- follow up on, I'm super forgetful. And so I will jot down just a note on your business card, Dan. On the back, like, yep. Oh, this guy really wants to start a podcast about graduate school. I do too. And so I write that note on your card so I can remember when I get home. And put it in the shredder. <laughs> and then forget about it for four months. What a stupid idea. <laughs> put it through the laundry in my pants pocket. That's happened before too. Uh, yeah, that's great. Though taking notes about what you discussed with that person, maybe after they walk away, a little weird if you do it while they're standing there, but it will help you remind because you'll get 50 business cards and trying to figure out which one of the ones is the person you wanted to collaborate is impossible after the fact. Yeah. And I put my Twitter handle on my business card, by the way. Um, but um, I would say, oh, and we got some things about the Twitter handle uh, that we talked about already. Only do that if your Twitter handle is a good representation of yourself as a professional. So again, I think the most important thing with using Twitter professionally, which I think is really great to do, is have a dedicated Twitter account to your professional life. Um, Because what you don't want to do is shoot yourself in the foot by putting your Twitter handle out there, but then you've got like a lot of your weirdo habits, which I have too, a lot of your weirdo hobbies, yeah, don't do not do that. So only do that if you have a Twitter account for your professional life, which you should, I think. All right, Josh. Hopefully that helps Matthew as he attends his next conference. Um, hopefully that helps everybody who listened as they attend the next conference. If you have some ideas, if you have some tips, we will post a link to our, our Twitter crowdsource com- conversation so that you can get in on that. Um, you can share those with us, podcast at hellophd.com or find us at HelloPhD on Twitter. All right, Dan, this was great. Wow, that was a lot of information. So much. If I hadn't have just gotten back from a conference, I would be really eager to go out to a conference. Well, you said they happen all year long, right? So They do, yeah. So the next one do. is probably coming up. Uh, everybody listening is probably ready to start thinking about their plan for that conference. Yeah, and, and conferences are so great. I, I really do love them. Also want to want to point out too this this topic was based on our listener question and so if you have a question or topic idea we'd love to hear that as well you can email us at podcast at hellophd.com send us a tweet at hellophd or you can leave us a message on our Facebook page if you like the show feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app we certainly love the feedback if you want to support the show you can become a patron simply go to our website hellophd.com and click on the Become a Patron button, 
or you can visit patreon.com slash hellophd. We would appreciate the beer money. Thanks to the ongoing support from our patrons. All right, Josh, we will see you soon. See you soon, Dan. Right ear, right ear. Left ear, coming at you. Actually, it's in my right ear. Weird. What ear are you in? I'm in my right ear. You're in my left ear. Hmm. Maybe I just got these on backwards. <laughs>